We are not under the law, but under grace. That's probably one of the most misused and misunderstood lines in the whole Bible. I've certainly heard it said to me. I remember as a young Christian, in fact, it was often said to me, often in the context of a Christian doing something wrong, a believer disobeying God, and then another Christian approaches them and says, hey, you know that's wrong, you shouldn't be doing that. And the answer would be given often, hey, I'm not under law, I'm under grace. Well, what do you say to that? How do you answer that? They're basically saying, I no longer have any relationship to God's law. I I have no obligation to obey God's law. There's, There's no connection anymore between me and the law because I'm not under law but under grace. And, and they are quoting Scripture, right? They are quoting Scripture. And in fact, they seem to be quoting Scripture rightly. Because, as verse 14 says, you are not under law, but under grace. So, on the face of it, it basically seems to be saying, yeah, you are no longer obliged to the law. You're no longer in a relationship with the law. Being under grace is contrasted here with being under the law. And therefore, if the Christian is under grace, then the law, obligation to obey God, is gone. That's what it seems to teach, doesn't it, on the face of it here. So, does, does grace free us from all connection to God's law? Does grace free us from our obligation to obey God's law? Or does grace free us from the law? That's our question tonight. And I want to take the first step in answering this question by looking at the the context, the background to this verse, this line in this verse, because so often we can go astray if we just pick out a line or a verse from the Bible and don't look at the broader background to the words. And I think as you'll see when we look at the background to these words, the words that led up to these words, you'll see that whatever this means it does not mean that the Christian, the believer, has no further relationship with God's law. Here's some example verses. Verse 1 to 2, Paul says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? So he's saying sin, which is transgression of the law, is still something to be avoided in the Christian life. In verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him 
in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Then, verse 11, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin. Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Verse 13, do not present your members to sin. And verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you. Do you see that, what, five or six verses leading up to this, which is clearly telling us that we still have some kind of relationship to the law of God. So, whatever this means, you're not under law. It cannot mean that every connection, every relationship, every obligation to the law is dissolved and dismantled. Verse after verse leading up to this tells us that grace does not free from obligations to the law. Grace does not give us a license to sin. But grace does change our relationship to the law. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't say here, you are not under law, but under grace. So, in what way does grace change our relationship to God's law? Before grace, unbeliever, unsaved, we have a relationship to God's law that is different to the one we have after grace. That's what Paul's teaching. There is a change, but it's not the change that is often understood when people retort, hey, I'm not under law, I'm under grace. So, how can we, how can we understand this? Well, again, let's look at the context Paul always is building an argument. He's building a case. And in Romans chapter 5, we can sum up Romans chapter 5 like this. Grace frees us from the law's penalty for sin. The law brings a penalty, a punishment for our disobedience, but grace frees us from that justification, no condemnation. Romans 6, grace frees us from the law's powerlessness over sin. That's what we're going to be looking at tonight. That's what Paul's referring to here. Because you'll notice that the verse 14 says, sin will have no dominion over you. Sin will have no power over you since you are not under law but under grace. He's saying there's something that grace does that breaks the power of sin in a way that the law can never do. So the law frees us from the law's penalty. The grace frees us from the law's penalty for sin. Grace frees us from the law's powerlessness over sin. And then as we'll see in some weeks' time, God willing, grace frees us from the law's provocation of sin, which is a, a strange concept on the face of it. But as we'll see in Romans 7, we're taught that the law, when it comes into 
an unbelieving life actually makes that unbelieving life want to do exactly what the law forbids. It's the old, you know, sign on the grass, do not stand in the grass. Well, that's exactly what I'm going to do, even though I wasn't even planning on going in that direction. There's something about the law, the commandment, a forbidding, a prohibition that makes us just determined. That's exactly what I'm going to do, even though I wasn't thinking of it before. That's another sermon. Sermon tonight. Grace frees us from the law's powerlessness over sin. So, does grace free us from the law? No. The law is powerless over sin, though. That's what we see here. And that's what under law means here. Under law means the law is on the throne. It's a dark throne, isn't it? The commandments, the demands of God. It's a threatening throne, that. And being under that, having the law as our, as our tyrant, our ever-demanding, never-satisfied tyrant. It's a dark experience. We are conscious of God's do and do not, and we are conscious that we are not doing what we should do, and we are doing what we should not do. And no matter how hard we try, resolve, change our habits, change our circumstances, no matter how hard we try and break habits, these do's and don'ts just don't do it, do they? The under law means that the law is our master. The law is our, our controlling principle. It's, the law is our hope of salvation and sanctification. We're looking to God's law and saying, okay, if I can, if I can keep these or at least keep them enough, or not disobey them too much, then I've got a hope of being saved and, and, and getting holier, getting better, improving my life, becoming a better person. This is what it means to be under law. The law is what we are looking to for not just our guidance, but our direction and our salvation and our sanctification. This, this law cannot share the throne with anyone else, certainly not with grace. So this is a state of being. This is a, a way to exist. It's a, it's a mindset. It's a worldview. It's, I would say, the mindset of the vast majority of people in the world, and even of a large number in the Christian church as people default to and almost like a gravity are drawn to the law as this is what the Christian life is all about. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is how I become a Christian. This is how I become a better Christian. More do's, more don'ts, more do's, more don'ts. That's being under the law. Now, what happens? What are the consequences that flow from this kind of life? What results from being under the law? Well, we're told four things result. And the first is this, 
sin reigns in our body. Look at verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. And then in verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you, since you're not under law but under grace. In other words, when you are under law, sin has dominion over your body. Sin reigns throughout your body. Paul is teaching here, if the law is our master, the law is our way of salvation, our way of sanctification, our way of self-improvement, if the law is our master, sin is our master. If the law is in control, sin is in control. If, if the law is our heart master, sin is our heart master. It cannot be otherwise. This is an inevitable result of the law being on the throne of our hearts. When the law is on the throne, sin reigns. It's a dark kingdom. It's a dark domain. It's a, a spreading, dark, tyrannical power that goes through our whole being. So, here we have the law that uses sin, and when the law is on the throne of the heart, then sin is spreading its tentacles, its power, its sinews throughout our whole being. That's the first consequence of being under law. Sin reigns in our body. But there's a second consequence, and it's this. Our passions obey sin. Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. See the order? So, we've got law on the throne. It sends sin out into our bodies, and the result is that passions are stirred up. Desires, feelings, aims, imaginations, all of them sinful. So, the law has this incredible knock-on domino effect in our life. When we are trying to be saved by the law or sanctified by the law, the end result is the opposite of the law. Sin is reigning. Passions are stirring. To obey sin as it spreads, as it does its work throughout our bodies. And then there's a third consequence, and it's this. Our members are presented to sin. Look at verse 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. His logic is clear, isn't it? Law is on the throne. Sin is reigning, passions are stirring, and the end result is our members are presented to sin. It's like we take every member of our bodies and we say, here, sin, have at it. We, we, we say, here, take my eyes, sin. Take my ears, take my mouth. Take my hands, my feet. Take my mind, my conscience, my will. 
Take my private parts. Take every part of me. My members, I'm presenting them. I'm gifting them to you. So it's, a, it's a horrible thought, isn't it? What, what started out looking so promising. Yeah, I'm going to be better. I'm going to do better. And, and here we're down the line of sin reigning, passion stirring, and now my members are almost like automatically and instinctively now being handed over to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. So sin here is taking our members and playing them as instruments, taking these parts of us that God created, our bodies and our passions, our soul, our spirit, and the result is a cacophony of discordant noise, instruments of unrighteousness. It's, it's a hideous noise in God's ears. I wonder, do you recognize yourself in this story? I would think most of us do. At some point in our life, this, this has rung true, hasn't it? I, I can certainly look back in my own life, especially as an unconverted young man. Oh, I, I couldn't tell you how many new leaves I turned over. How many new resolutions, how many new determinations, whether it was after a Friday night or after a Sunday night sermon, Yep, I'm going to do better. I'm going to be better. I'm going to stop that. I'm going to start that. And the end result is by the next weekend, I'm even worse than I was the one before. And even as a Christian, this can so e we can so easily default back to that do and don't, do and don't. And, and strangely, we think to ourselves, how come? How come? with all my focus on, on ethics and morality, that I'm becoming more unethical and more immoral. Well, this is the explanation here. So, you, 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 if you start with law as your dominant power, the thing you think about most, then look at where it will take you to. So, start there, end there. Or, if your life is at the moment a discordant, disharmonic cacophony, that's the end result, then start tracing it back. You, you might think, how come I always end up here? How come I, I just can't seem to improve? I can't seem to any permanent change. I can't dig out these habits. No matter what I do, how come I always end here? Well, trace it back. Paul, Paul gives us the track to walk along. He says, instruments of unrighteousness result from presenting our members to sin, result from passions being stirred up, result from sin reigning, which results from the law on the throne. That is not a good story, is it? Can we change? Can something change us? How does God fix this? 
Well, Paul's answer is this. If the law is powerless over sin, grace is powerful over sin. Grace is powerful over sin. Isn't that what Paul says here? Sin will have no dominion over you. How? You're not under law, but under grace. What does under grace mean? Well, they just think back to what under law meant. Under grace means that instead of a throne that is surrounded by do's and don'ts, it's surrounded by done. Done, 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 done. You might say there are ten duns around the throne. Christ has done it all. Christ has finished the work. He has obeyed that law and suffered its penalties, and He says, no more, no more be motivated and moved and try to be changed by do's and don'ts, but instead by done. The finished, completed work of Jesus Christ on the throne. That's what under grace means. It means grace has come along and dethroned the law, and grace has become our new master, our new king, our new controlling principle, our new worldview. It's what we think about most. It's, it's what we love to think about most. We're under grace. What, what results from that? Well, again, we, we trace this out with the help of Paul. When, when, when great, we're under grace, then God reigns in our body, not sin. God reigns. Look at verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. In other words, the opposite of that is God. And verse 14, sin will have no dominion over you. What's the opposite of that? God is reigning over you. God is reigning in our bodies. When grace is on the throne, God is spreading. God's kingdom is coming. God's rule is expanding in our bodies, these mortal bodies. And, and from there, He claims everything. When, when someone becomes a Christian and grace gets on the throne, then God begins to work in that whole person's being. It doesn't happen all at once. The kingdom is still coming and will to the end of our lives here, but it's coming. God is reigning. He's claiming our whole body as His, and He doesn't share His throne. He doesn't say, well, Grace, you can have the throne on Sunday, and then Law can have the throne Monday to Saturday. Or, you know, we'll have Grace every hour of every week apart from one. No, Grace will not tolerate a co-monarch. It must occupy the throne entirely. And as it does, as grace is there consciously, then 
the reign of God is spreading constantly. God reigns in our body. That's the first consequence. Second consequence, our passions obey God, not sin. Do not, sorry, verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. If sin is reigning, we're obeying these passions. But when God is reigning, He's stirring up godly feelings, godly desires, godly aims, godly ambitions, and he's, and he's weakening the old passion. Sometimes they don't completely disappear. They are weakened, they're aging, they're fading, they have less influence, and in their place are new passions, new feelings, new desires, new longings, new emotions. And then, third consequence, we present our members to God. Verse 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for righteous, unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Now, notice there's a difference here. In that previous cycle under the law, we were presenting our members to sin. But here, notice what he says. We present ourselves and our members. In other words, it's not just giving the, the, the external parts of our bodies, the visible part of us. No, he's saying give your whole self to God. Present yourself to God in your entirety. That's what happens when grace is on the throne and God is reigning and godly passions are being stirred up, then we, we end up looking at ourselves and saying, take me, all of me, not part of me, but all of me, the whole me. Take my eyes, take my ears, take my mouth, take my hands, my feet, my brain, my private parts. Take everything, Lord. I present them to you as instruments for righteousness. There's a beautiful sound. This isn't grating on the ears of God. This is the sweetest sound possible for God. Instruments for righteousness. God takes these previous members, that body, these passions that were abused. You might say they are the oldest, most battered instruments and, and God takes them, and He begins to play them. He begins to play them. He begins to play them. And as He does, this beautiful sound comes out. As He sees and hears a life of righteousness. And it's, it's amazing, isn't it? The, you'd think, you'd think the best way towards being saved and being holy would be try harder. Try harder. I need better do's and don'ts. You'd think that would end up in a more holy life. You'd think that would end up with power over sin. That's what human logic says. That's why every other religion in the world is focused on that. 
But what Paul is telling us here is the best way to holiness is not try harder, it's trust harder. It's not more guilt, it's more grace. It's not more law, it's more love. And you get that right. You say, I'm now under grace, not under law. Do you know what actually happens? You get more law-keeping. You get more obedience. But you've got to start in the right place, which is grace on the throne, grace reigning, and that results in holiness. I don't know, but do you recognize yourself in this story, this beautiful throne story, You remember maybe a time in your life where you couldn't beat sin. (laughs) You were powerless, nothing you tried. Now you look and you see, I seem to have power over sin, power to obey and power to do good. What happened? Grace happened. You came to the cross. You came to Jesus. You, You began to see done, 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 done. And the more you see done, 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 the more do's and don'ts become easier. But you've got to start with the done, not the do's and don'ts. This is what makes the difference. We're under grace, not under law. So, does grace free us from the law? Grace frees us to obey the law from the heart, with joy, not perfectly, but the more we get grace in place, the less guilt we feel and experience, and the more godliness will result. Don't start with guilt. Start with grace if you want godliness. If you want salvation, don't don't focus on do's and don'ts. Focus on done. We're not under the law. Praise God. Praise God. That's misery. That's hopelessness and helplessness. You will never have dominion over sin. If the law reigns in your life, then sin is raining down on your life. But if we are under grace, then we are over sin. Under grace, over sin. We have power that we never had before. Praise God. Don't you love grace? Don't you just thank God for grace? And the more I can get that, then the more I'm under grace and not law. I was listening to a song while I was away. I listened to it so many times. It's one of the songs in Mercy Me's album, Only Jesus. The chorus is this, grace, grace, it always sets me free without ever letting go of me. Don't you love that? It sets me free without ever letting go of me. 
grace, grace. Every time the Father runs to the one who can't run fast enough, that's grace. What is grace? It's the blue of the sky. It's the beacon in the night. It's the calm within the thunder and the rain. It's the end of all my shame. It's the love that knows my name. It's a peace beyond all understanding. It's the end and it's the start. Oh, it meets us where we are. It's the gravity that pulls us to your heart. Isn't it? Guilt drives us from God. Grace is like a gravity that pulls us to God. It's the source of all our wealth. It's the author of new birth. It's the genesis of all the universe. Grace, grace. You want dominion over sin? Grace. Let's pray. God of all grace, thank you, thank you, thank you, that being under grace means we are free to be holy, able to obey, and produce a godlike sound with our lives. Blow grace through our lives so that you hear a beautiful harmony of gratitude and godliness. In Jesus' name, amen.